Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. Today, I'm joined by Arjun Kalsi, Head of Ecosystem at Mantle. Welcome, Arjun. Hey, hi. Thank you so much for having me, Ash. Well, lots to talk about here today, and we're going to get started in just a second. But first, I want to take a look at the price action in crypto. Uh, right now, it looks like the the rally we've seen the last couple of days continues. Bitcoin trading at 31,243, trailing 24 hours. We're up about 4.5% on Bitcoin. Trailing seven days, we're up nearly 21% trailing seven days on Bitcoin. Ethereum trading right now at 1,918, still below that 2K handle, but up 2% trailing 24 hours, trailing seven-day basis, up over 14%. So the rally very much continues. I should say, we've had a little bit of volatility and choppiness here in U.S. equity markets at the open. Uh, RVDB, that's Real Vision Daily Briefing, our sister show where we talk about capital markets and macro at 4 p.m. Eastern time, a close of business, close of markets here in New York City, 1 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. in London for folks who are interested in hearing more about that. With that said, Arjun, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Let's talk a little bit about what you guys do. Sure thing. So Mantle is an Ethereum L2 uh, network. Uh, that's what we're building. And uh, it's, it's got an interesting backstory that Mantle was actually born out of a DAO vote. So uh, so BitDAO uh, is, is the DAO which incubated Mantle. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the DAO participants you know, decided on the forum that they should build some infrastructure. There was a long discussion on what it should look like, what the technology should look like, you know, what, what, how, how we should build it. And then, you know, it went to a vote, it was passed and that's how Mantle Network uh, came to be. Uh, so, so it's very, very interesting um, sort of genesis. Uh, typically when you compare with other chains, right, where you start centralized and then you go into a DAO, we were a DAO to begin with. Um, and then over the past, uh, you know, past few months, we've had our testnet live since January of this year. We're going to be going into mainnet very soon. So things are coming together at a, at a very rapid pace. Uh, we've also, the way we've designed uh, the technology and, and the ecosystem is also unique. Um, you know, it's very decentralized, very open. Um, all, all the funding which we have has come from the DAO. So we have a treasury monitor where we transparently uh, show the community how much we're spending, what are we spending it on, line item by line item. So very transparent, um, right. run by the community, owned by the community. And, and I feel more ecosystems should be run by this. So this is kind of a quick brief about, about Mantle. Yeah, well, we're very passionate about talking about new technology and innovation here. I should say, obviously, this is not something yet that has hit mainnet uh, extremely early in this technology. Obviously, early stage token investing is a highly risky activity. None of this should be considered as financial advice. Uh, and more specifically, it's not an endorsement of any particular protocol, coin, or technology. Uh, but we're here to talk about this innovation. So let's give a little bit of the backstory. You mentioned some of it uh, with BitDAO. Uh, BitDAO, obviously, uh, something that folks have heard of uh, because of some of the investors in that. Uh, Peter Thiel, I believe, uh, Dragonfly, Pantera, some other folks that are pretty well known in the VC investing space. Talk a little bit about how this got spun up. So, so it's a very, 
again a very interesting story right so if you look back at uh, what was happening in in the uh, you know early 2020s um you, we had the advent of uh, binance smart chain right and it was this very interesting model where you had the chain and the exchange sort of working together right and the model proved to be successful right you know a lot, lot of value was created developers came and built solutions and then what we also saw was that everybody tried to copy that model right so every exchange out there tried to sort of uh, run with the same model where you had the chain and the exchange working together and creating value um now this was like super interesting now when it came to bybit the exchange the founders of bybit were also sort of you know the community of bybit was asking the founders that hey why don't we build a chain and and the founders decided to take a very interesting path so what they decided was that instead of building a chain why don't we build a dao instead right we build a dao we get all the top investors into this dao so it has you know great guidance when it comes to you know web3 crypto and 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 token economics and, and investments everything and then you know let's seed the dao with liquidity and then the dao can decide whatever the dao wants to do so if you want to create a chain if you want to build some other product that that's up to the dao like we won't interfere with that decision but like let's go about building web3 in a more decentralized manner and that's kind of how you know bitdao came about right so and and bitdao was seeded with liquidity by bybit uh they uh, the uh, the sort of the terms were that 2.5 bps of their daily volume would flow into into the dao this continued for a long period of time and uh, now of course if you see uh, bit dao it's, it's one of the largest daos in the space you've got close to about 4 billion in assets on chain um and you know using mantle now we will have an ability to take these assets you know put them to work and then create even more value uh, for the community and 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 the network we should say for folks who are not familiar bybit is an exchange uh, based i believe in dubai and the united arab emirates so offices both in dubai and, and singapore and yes bybit has been around for almost as long as binance it's, it's one of the oldest exchanges out there and it's one of the largest derivatives exchanges in the, in, in the world yeah a quick point of order here i should say uh, actually today we're doing a summer friday edition of real vision daily briefing so it's going to air at 1 p.m. eastern time 5 p.m. london okay let's talk a little bit about the treasury uh, on bitdao because that's gotten some buzz talk a little bit about how you guys state those numbers so it's very interesting so if you go to mantle.xyz if you go to our website you can see the entire breakup of the treasury so the treasury is all on chain right so you can you can go and see uh, the smart contract you can see you know all the different tokens we have in there so we've got like some uh, i would say a lot of value in uh, you know on chain in 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 the dao now if i were to talk about how we plan to use some of these some of this liquidity now uh, so for example what we're also doing is we're building a liquid staking derivatives protocol uh, so if you look at our treasury we've got close to about 270000 eth just lying there in the treasury so what we decided is okay let's build a liquid staking derivatives protocol we can stake our own eth then we can create our own liquid stake eth and then we could use that to liquidity provision any defi protocol building on our network right so this is what makes mantle unique in the sense that you know we're we're possibly the only chain out there which has just got access to a huge pool of liquidity which we can use to liquidity provision any defi or any kind of protocol on chain we also have an uh, have an exchange where we can list like high quality teams and high quality tokens and give those projects ultimate distribution so with the treasury which we have by staking this eth we will have access to this liquidity we will also get the yield on this uh, e uh, on this eth which we can then use to you know further amplify the ecosystem in terms of incentives Uh, we also have about another 220 million usdt about another i think about 70 73 million usdc so which again all of this can be put to work on the chain to create new value um so it's it's a pretty large treasury a majority of it is still in bit tokens um and uh, you know as as time progresses 
as we continue to roll out like bounties within the chain, we continue to sort of support builders with different initiatives. We'll slowly over a period of time decentralize the DAO as these tokens go out of the DAO and end up in the hands of, of the community. Well, let's walk through some of the numbers on the treasury. I've got it up on my screen right now. Uh, so the bit token right now is a little over 75%. Uh, Eye-bulging number here, $2.6 billion, $2.5 six five to be precise million uh, dollars excuse me billion dollars 565 million uh, on top of uh, what we see here in ethereum which you already mentioned about two hundred and fifty thousand eth so you've got uh, roughly a little over two and a half billion in bit tokens and about 500 million in eth tokens talk a little bit about that uh, first are those tokens in any way encumbered are they pledged against any other asset are they being yield farm is there any other risk associated with those treasury tokens they are literally just sitting there. There is no risk with these tokens. I think one of the things which uh, Beta was very careful about was to not play fast and loose with, with the community's funds, right? So they were not invested in all of these different yield farming strategies. They were not sort of leveraged in any way. These are assets uh, in their purest form on chain. And, and we plan to be very, very um, strategic about how we use uh, these funds, right? So even when it comes to using them for the chain, if you are to liquidity provision any projects, we're going to ensure there's a full stack due diligence on those on those teams. They're going to be audits before we you know we plan to use this liquidity. So we're going to be very careful with it. Uh, ultimately, it's the community's money; it's not ours. They hold the governance power to direct this liquidity. So we have to be like very very careful and very mindful of how we use this liquidity. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. So you're saying they're totally unencumbered, no liabilities against them, no smart contract commits or any other type of liability? Zero liability. And can this all be viewed totally on-chain through Etherscan, for example? 100%. If you go to our Git book, you can see all the different addresses and you can check it out on Etherscan. Yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the relationship uh, between BitDAO and Mantle. Explain what that relationship looks like today uh, and talk a little bit about uh, how those treasury tokens are used within the ecosystem. 100%. So, so ultimately, the BIT token is, is used as the governance token within, within the DAO, right? So whenever the DAO has to make a decision, for example, should we build Mantle? Uh, should we invest in gaming, like through Game7, which is another, another one of the investments of BitDAO? Should we invest in Web3 education? and research, which is EduDAO, which is another body which was uh, incubated by BitDAO. So the way BitDAO works is that there is governance, there is the community, and the community can exercise that governance to basically channel the liquidity which is sitting there in the DAO to build different vehicles to take Web3 forward, right? So ultimately what we want to do with the DAO is to build a future of token uh, sort of, uh, of, of, of products which are, which are governed by, by tokens. And, and sort of have this sort of token uh, governed uh, products and governance sort of take the Web3 space forward. So what we're trying to prove also with this model is that we can get like a DAO, a chain and an exchange sort of working together to create new and newer value for the user. We've seen sort of the chain and, and sort of the exchange model create value. But I think in our model, it's very interesting that we also have a watchdog, which is the DAO. So for example, if, we, if there is any unethical activities happening on the chain, so for example, if the team does not live up to the expectations, of the community, they can the community can pass a vote and choose to fire the entire team or even shut down the chain. So the ultimate power lies with the community. And this is why that governance is so important. This is why in any kind of model where there is a chain and there is an exchange, it is so important to have a watchdog there. And for us, we have the best watchdog, right? We have an all-powerful DAO which can take all decisions. Now the decision, uh, now sort of the relationship uh, between the DAO and the chain is very interesting in the sense that 
the chain was incubated by the DAO. So all the funding which we have has come from a DAO vote. And you can go to the DAO forums and you can see the entire detailed proposal of exactly how much funding we want for exactly which line item. Mm. Um, and all of this is like super transparent. And this is why, this is kind of why it's, it's uh, you know, why it's it's very interesting for us that, that, that and, and what we really feel is this is how ecosystems should be built and run with this level of transparency, where every major decision you take with respect to funding, they have to be, there has to be clear like line items of how you're going to use that money because you owe that to the community. Um, also, what's interesting about Mantle is that we're using the same token as the DAO. So we will be building utility for that token. Uh, so for example, in this case, if you take the BIT token, we will be using the BIT token as gas fees. It'll be used for, uh, for governance on the DAO. It'll be used in the ecosystem which we're building on Mantle. It will be used for staking on the at the infrastructure layer so we would be building multiple levels of utility for the token and and if you know so if we are able to build this kind of utility the token will capture more and more value of the entire ecosystem and this intent you know over a period of time makes the dao even stronger and gives us the wherewithal to launch even broader or more ambitious projects uh, so this is kind let's, of how the let's stick with that for a second and talk a little bit about the BitDAO token. I don't know if we can bring up a chart of this. Uh, obviously, when you look at this screen uh, with the the x-axis set to max, uh, you see a drawdown of about eighty five so or so percent from about three bucks uh, to where we're trading right now at around forty three cents. Uh, total, I think, return here is about seventy one percent negative from inception. Talk a little bit about the price action. Uh, and what your perception is about why markets have priced this down so significantly since uh, late 2021. So I think I think a lot of things have changed since late 2021. So there's been a markdown and I think every asset out there, including uh, including Bitcoin, ETH and, and every other token out there. What I also feel is that what is different about uh, the Bit token earlier was that it was used purely for governance. Like it did not have a lot of utility outside of governance. I think with Mantle, now that there's you know, there are whole levels of utility which we can build for the token where it will be used in many different ways. Also, other products which we are building right now, like the liquid staking derivatives protocol, which will also be using the Mantle token. So we will be able to build these multiple levels of utility and then the token will continue to sort of or capture a larger share of, of this entire business and all the value it's accruing. Um, and this is why I feel over a period of time that, you know, we can position Mantle as 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 sort of uh, as a really, really sort of strong token. So we're also doing this rebranding process. Uh, we're rebranding sort of um, uh, BitDAO to Mantle governance. Uh, we're, re we're redoing the token as well from Bit to MNT because when the token Bit was created, it was not designed to be run in a chain. Like there were several functions missing, etc. So we literally had to redo the token so it could be used in a layer two chain. So we will have a new token, MNT. The details are there on the website as well. Uh, we'll be we will be redoing the DAO, and then and what this essentially means is that Mantle DAO will be sort of a product focused DAO, where the core product is the Mantle infrastructure chain. Uh, we will also be building a liquid staking derivatives protocol, and we will also build other products in the future, and all of them will build utility for the MNT token. So this is kind of the path we've set for the token right now, where now there are multiple levels of utility, and we'll continue to keep building those as time progresses, so which is kind of like, I, I don't want to comment on, on token price or you know definitely not financial advice, but but I feel that if you can build multiple levels of utility for a token, then it will start to capture sort of the entire value of, of the business. And that I think would be good in the long term for the DAO. So this is kind of how we want to design it. So let me ask you this question about liquid staking derivatives. Uh, in the post Shanghai Chappella Ethereum world, uh, where Beacon Chain, uh, you can access those funds. Talk about the role of liquid staking derivatives and why they're important in your view to the ecosystem. 
So I think as as Ethereum has transitioned to a proof of stake chain, of course, you know, you want to stake as many assets as you can, um, you know, or as much ETH as you can on the chain so that you can secure the assets which are, uh, you know, or you rather you can secure all the value which is being created mm. on, on Ethereum, right? So a proof of stake chain is only as strong as the as the value staked in it. Now, the problem with the stake was that there was no real incentive to stake outside of possibly the returns you might get from Ethereum, right? And, and Ethereum as a chain was becoming more and more congested with a period of time. But liquid staking, what, what this has allowed us to do is that if you're a user, you can stake your ETH, you can get yield on that stake. But then you can also get this token as a receipt, whether it's CBE or SDE, depending on whichever uh, staking protocol you use. And then you can take that take that token and then you can participate in, in sort of DeFi or in any sort of other activity. Or you could even restake that into uh, other sort of vehicles like Eigenlayer, where again, it's used to provide security uh, for, for, you know, for, for various different chains. So that's why I think liquid staking is interesting, where there's now an incentive for people to stake their tokens because they will get this receipt token, which they can further use. Um, in a variety of DeFi, in a variety of chains, or in a variety of ways. And so in some sense, there's now an extra incentive to do staking. And it's good for Ethereum to have more and more Ethereum staked on it so that uh, the network just continues to become stronger over time. So you mentioned the eigenlayer, uh, which is the protocol that allows restaking in Ethereum. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the significance of the eigenlayer and its relationship to the Mantle token. Sure, definitely. So I think eigenlayer is like for me very, very, very interesting concept, right? In general. So with eigenlayer, essentially you're creating a decentralized layer of trust, right? And when you consider when you when you're building decentralized trust, you need to sort of have a trust assumption. And and the idea being that if you can stake, so for example, if you can stake ETH and then you get your liquid stake token, if you can stake those liquid stake tokens on eigenlayer, then you can provide crypto economic security. Uh, to many different types of use cases, whether it's data availability, whether it's bridging, whatever have you. Because once you've solved decentralized trust, you can like do many different things. And and this is kind of why we've been partnering with um, with with Eigenlayer for almost, uh, we've been working very closely with the team for the almost last six to nine months. Mm -hmm. Because when we were building Mantle, we decided to build a modular chain, right? So what we felt is that instead of having monolithic architecture, where all the components of a blockchain are tightly bound together, if you build it like like uh, in a modular fashion, like for example with Legos, where you have chain processing, you have data availability, you have transaction finality, consensus, then the chain will be easier to upgrade, easier to maintain, and we could continue to improve it with time. Um, so in our model architecture, we've gone with Eigenlayer as the data availability uh, sort of solution. So what this means is that our chain sort of will have, you know, possibly anywhere from 30 to 50% lower costs than any other rollup out there. It will right. also be faster because you don't have to push all of that data onto Ethereum. You can now push it to the data availability layer. And, and how this is interesting for the token as well is that for this layer as well, for the data availability layer, you need to provide crypto economic security. And for that security, you'll again be staking uh, the Mantle token, the MNT token, which is the, the sort of uh, one is to one redone token for, 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 the, for the BID token. Um, so, 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 so this idea of, of modular architecture is incredibly important in your thesis, at least as I understand it. Uh, you mentioned this notion uh, of how rollups are done. Uh, traditionally, it's uh, with either with zero knowledge proofs or with optimistic rollups. This is a third option, essentially disaggregating this at the architecture layer so that you have uh, different layers doing different things. Can you give us an overview of what those modular layers are uh, in your ecosystem and how you think about the functionality, perhaps with a stylized, simplified example? Sure, definitely. Um, so let me explain it. Okay, so in terms of rollups, you still have either optimistic rollups or zero knowledge rollups, right? And we've seen both of those in the market. So we've gone with the optimistic rollup stack, 
since the technology has been around for a long period of time, it's a tried and tested technology. And if you look at the liquidity which we are playing with, you know, we wanted to go with something which is which is more tried and tested and, and sort of has been in the market for a long period of time. So in terms of rollups, there is like uh, optimistic rollups or zk rollups, but modular architecture essentially sort of talks about the the basics of how you want to design the chain in the first place, right? So for example. If you were so monolithic architecture, which I talked about, is when all the components of a chain are in some sense welded together. So imagine if you build a car, right? And instead of bolting all the parts together, you weld everything together, right? So the car, you know, everything is welded together. You can run the car, but if you want to change the engine, if you want to change the tires, if you want to change anything about the car, it requires a massive refit, right? And lots and lots of testing before it can be roadworthy, right? But with uh, with modular architecture, what you do is that all the different parts of a chain are modules, essentially, which you can sort of mix and match. So it's like bolting together parts of a car. And then if you want to change the engine, you just bolt it out, swap out the engine. If you want to change the tires, you swap those out. If you want to change the body, you swap that out. So And, and this allows you to create like a sort of a, a vehicle or a car, which you can continue to upgrade with time, right? Like a lot of people do, right? They, they modify their cars for different types of use cases. And, and this is kind of how modular architecture works, where all the parts of a chain are in are sort of are, are like Lego blocks and you can add different types of data availability. You can have you can upgrade your chain processing. You can add different types of fraud proofs, whether you want to do optimistic, whether you want to do ZK, whatever have you. Right. So your chain becomes a lot more easier to operate. It becomes easier to test. It becomes easier to upgrade. And the general consensus in in the in the in the blockchain world is that modular architecture is the way forward and more and more chains are now being designed in a modular fashion hey everyone we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners we'll be right back to the real vision crypto daily briefing so what are those uh layers as you see it and what's the functionality of each one if you could just give us an example uh, perhaps with a simple transaction so that people could try and understand and visualize what those layers are what each one does and why it's critical to the system sure definitely so let's let's so this is interesting right so let's let's walk through a transaction right so the user pings a transaction right so what happens so you have a chain right the chain is sort of uh, you know sort of uh, collating all of those transactions those transactions essentially are being are being sort of bunched into blocks, right? And this is kind of where the sequencer comes into play. So you have the chain. So think of it like this. You've got the chain, you have the sequencer here, right? And you have the data availability here. So there are three parts. Think of it like a pyramid. Like you've got the chain here, which is producing all those transactions. You have a sequencer. Sequencer's job is to bunch those transactions into blocks and then take those blocks and bunch those further into batches. And then it takes a batch and it creates a proof. Right, and it and it essentially creates two things. Once it one one part of it is the proof, which is the proof that those transactions happen, and it also creates a rollup, right? And rollup is enough data for you to recreate the proof. So think so. Essentially, what you've done is you've taken transactions. Transactions go into blocks. Lots and lots of then blocks go into a batch, and the batch essentially results in a proof and rollup data. And like I said, rollup data is just enough data for you to recreate this proof. So imagine it's almost like a cryptographic, it's almost like a cryptographic hash of those batch transactions that can then be verified. Basically, yes. And the roll-up data is interesting. Why? Because roll-up data is like, if I were to give you a simple example, it's like you have a 10-page essay and then you create a gist of that essay, like one paragraph, which gives you like an idea of what's happening in, in the entire 10 pages. So typically in any roll-up, what you do is you take this proof and you take this roll-up data and you ping that onto Ethereum. So you've got Ethereum right here, you've got this other chain. And you're pinging a proof and roll-up data onto Ethereum. Now, all transactions on Ethereum are expensive, 
The proof is pretty small, so it's not so expensive, but the roll-up data and pushing data onto Ethereum is expensive. In fact, you, one could say that over 70 to 90% of the cost of a transaction of a roll-up, like of, of this um, sort of roll-up transaction is actually because of the data. And this is kind of where data availability becomes interesting, where the sequencer is now producing the proof and the roll-up data. Instead of putting that roll-up data on Ethereum, you send it to some other layer, right? You send it to a data availability layer. So you've got a chain, you have the sequencer doing all of this stuff. It's produ producing those proofs. It produces a roll-up data. The roll-up data goes to another layer, right? Which is the data availability layer. This is the eigen layer, data availability layer or eigen data availability where we'll be punching this data. We won't be putting it on Ethereum, thereby not incurring that cost, right? And only the proof goes on to Ethereum. So if anybody on Ethereum wants to recreate that proof, they can just get the data from the data availability layer, recreate the proof and check. So the transaction becomes almost equivalent as that of an Ethereum transaction. Because any transaction on Ethereum, you can recreate it. In this case, you can do the same, except that the data which, which you need to sort of redo the transaction or recreate the transaction for security purposes is on some other layer. And because it's not on Ethereum, you're not incurring that cost. And this is kind of why the chain becomes modular in the sense where you have a separate layer for, for managing or keeping all of this data. You have a separate layer, which is sort of producing all of this proofs and all of this roll up. And then you have the chain on top of that, right? Which is sort of getting all your transactions together. So you um, take the hash or the digest, the cryptographically compressed version uh, that secures all of that data. You push that on chain where all the underlying work remains at a separate layer, in this case, the Eigen layer, uh, where that yes. can be independently validated. Yes, yes, you got it right. So that's exactly how this, and, and more and more chains are moving towards this kind of modular setup because they realize that, see, even with data availability, right, Eigenlayer is not the only solution out there. There are other teams working on data availability. And similarly, on the sequencer side, where you have fraud proofs, et cetera, there are a bunch of teams working on that as well. So you could, it's so interesting now that in the blockchain space, you got this chain, and then you got this entire arms race happening on the data availability layer side. And then you got this other arms race happening on the fraud proof, ZK proof side. And, and what has happened is by splitting the chain into layers, you've got like efficiency now into the system where everybody is looking at those separate layers and trying to create the most efficient and the best system, right? Which and those not changes essentially can be swapped out. That's what you're talking about when you talk about exactly. modularity. It's basically like the battery of your car dies. You don't have to exactly. replace the entire engine. You remove the battery and drop in a new one. Exactly, exactly. So this is why it's so, so interesting for me, right? Because now I can see which way the blockchain ecosystem is going to run that, you know, like you're going to have all of these different layers and all of these different layers are going to have all of this different optimization happening. And then modular chains will be able to swap these out. They'll be like, okay, you know what, the system's better. Maybe we should offer this to our user. Because as a blockchain infrastructure, we have to offer the best of what's available on the market to the developer and the user, right? So we have to continuously keep an eye on all market innovations, whether it's ZK rollup. So we have a full stack research team continuously looking at all of this stuff, like whether it's decentralized sequencers, uh, ZK provers, or any other kind of, you know, sort of uh, technology which could potentially improve our chain in the future. So, so, so it's like very, very exciting and interesting for me when I look at this space. So let's talk a little bit about transparency. I mean, one of the challenges that any complex ecosystem has here in 2023, uh, as we look uh, at the world in the wake of the Terra Luna collapse, for example, uh, people hear uh, the terms of ecosystem, they see a lot of complexity and they may not feel comfortable about what's beneath the surface. Talk about how you guys are trying uh, to essentially, through transparency, avoid those kinds of risks, or at least the perception of those kinds of risks. Obviously, this technology is very new. Uh, there's a lot of complexity here. Talk a little bit about how you assess those risks and how you attempt to mitigate them. So this is interesting, right? Yes, you're right, that we've had like several episodes where, uh, where because there was no transparency, right? Bad actors sort of uh, co-opted the system. Now, in our case, 
So let's look at how we solve for transparency, right? So number one, all the assets or rather all the money we need to, to run this chain has come from a DAO, right? All of the DAO's assets are on chain. So you can go to Etherscan, you can see all the assets. Number two, you can also see the transaction which was done to send those assets to this other wallet, which we are using to sort of uh, run or sort of pay for all of our expenses. On, on top of that, if you go to our website, you can see the treasury monitor. So if you go to um, you know, governance and you can you can see the treasury monitor where you can see all the money, like I said, line item by line item, which we are spending on the chain, whether it is on salaries or whether it is on infrastructure. So we've tried our best to have unprecedented level of transparency, right? Which I don't think any other ecosystem out there operates in this fashion. And to mitigate mm -hmm. like any sort of risks, um, not just from like, not just in terms of optics, right? Which is what people might feel, but also from the team itself. Like nobody in the team essentially has enough power or can go rogue because everything is transparent. Like it's simply not possible in our system. Like Our any doubt would be able to just view that transaction and be like, okay, what's happening? And if the team is working against the chain, they're like, fire the team. Like a proposal comes on board, gets passed, team's gone. So, so this is kind of like how we've managed to sort of, so it's not just about transparency. You need to empower somebody to be able to take those kind of executive decisions. And for us, that's the DAO. The DAO can take these kind of decisions. So, Arjun, so yeah. really interesting stuff. I'm glad you could come on the show and talk with us. I uh, hear about the innovation that you guys are doing. Uh, hey, it's been a deep dive Friday. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure thing. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for watching, everyone. Make sure to check out our website. You can go to realvision.com. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. Uh, it's free to sign up for our crypto content, realvision.com forward slash crypto. Also, it's Summer Fridays on our sister macro focus show, Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's starting at the top of this hour, so 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. London. Check it out. Uh, over here, we have yet another great set of guests for next week, including the co-founder of Arbitrum, Stephen Goldfeder, and Bitcoin investor, Mike Alfred. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon. Eastern, 5 p.m. London time on Monday. Thanks for watching, everybody. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.